and welcome to the 10th episode of the Ocean Decade Show, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean. Housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network family. My name is Taylor Gells and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the Ocean Decade. So yeah, almost a year into the Ocean Decade that I was counting it and you know, when when you're a kid and you count how many years old you are and you use all your fingers and so we're almost out of fingers for months of the Ocean Decade, which is a very weird analogy, but it still feels big, especially when because I started hearing about the Ocean Decade and working on it before it had even started. So this really seems like we're coming up upon a monumental birthday to celebrate and I'm already thinking about how we can celebrate that milestone with an awesome podcast episode and what guests we might have and just it's you all know that I nerd out about the decade so it's that should be no surprise um but I really can't believe all the progress that's happened and how much the decade has grown in this short amount of time uh but as we look forward I can't help but look backward as you already heard me kind of reminiscing and (laughs) nostalgic about the decade's origins and think about my origins in the decade and be particularly proud of how far the U.S. has come in this time period and what the United States has been able to do in in these 10 months and, and even previously last year before the decade was officially launched. So the org chart that I used to build and present when I did my decade 101 presentations when I was at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration here in the U.S., has grown exponentially, I can imagine. And so many more people are looped into the ocean decade and contributing really unique perspectives and thoughts and making this much bigger than, uh, it's gonna be bigger than the sum of its parts, which I think is fantastic. Uh, And so because of this nostalgia, I wanted to take a step back and really get down to the basics and learn about how the US has progressed and use the US's method of organization for the decade as an example of how national governments and countries overall are organizing for the ocean decade. So I'm trying to use this episode as a bit of a tutorial. So not saying the U.S. is perfect or doing it in the best way, but I think that there's still so many questions out there that I've heard from people around the world about how you organize for the decade. You know, what do you have to do at the at the country level, at the national government level with NGOs? How, how do you bring all those pieces together? Uh, so I want to try to be a little bit prescriptive and give other countries or stakeholders really tangible steps for what organization for the decade looks like. And I would love to do profiles on other countries. So if if you're listening to this and you're involved with the organization of other countries working on the decade, please get in touch. And I would love to feature you and do a kind of compare contrast to see there's not going to be one method that works for everyone to organize for the decade. So I would love to feature some some different case studies. Uh, My favorite part of this podcast is the ability to go really meta and look at the large scale, like this national and international level, and then jump to the specific and talk about specific actions and endeavors so that we've been seesawing a lot over these past couple of months. And it's been really fun to get to explore all the crevices of this ocean decade. So as I was looking back, thinking about who the best guest would be, because you know the the ocean decade changes daily. And so if you're not in all the constant up-to-date things you get out of touch so quickly. It's it's really incredible. And so thinking about the best guest, there was only one person um, that I knew would be the best person to to give us this overview. And many of you know that last year I was a Knauss Fellow uh, on working at NOAA, uh, working on the Ocean Decade. So it's a one-year marine science policy fellowship. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about that later. And so I'm really lucky to be interviewing my successor in that position. <laughs> so it's kind of a little bit like, 
self-love, I guess, and the fact that I'm picking the person that I handpicked to, I helped handpick to replace me to talk about this cool world that we helped develop. But uh, Teresa Keith, I'm so excited to have have her on and organizing the country with the biggest EEZ, the biggest exclusive economic zone in the world for the ocean decade isn't easy. Um, but if anyone's up for the task, it's her. So Teresa, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Um, I've been watching all, well, listening to all of your podcasts since you left and trying to fill those shoes. And it's, it's really great to be able to talk to you here, like you said, many months into the decade. I know because I, I had this idea of being able to feature you, you know, from the from when I first started this podcast. But you needed to get a little bit of tenure, get your feet a little bit wet, so you can learn this intense ecosystem that is the Ocean Decade at both the U.S. level and the international level. Absolutely, ecosystem is is a really good word for it. And there's sort of nested ecosystems, I'd say, at different levels. You know, regional, national, international. There's a lot going on. Definitely, definitely takes you a little while to uh, to get up to speed, but once you're in it, like you said, it changes daily. Changes daily, yeah. So before we start and jump into some of the some of the Russian nesting dolls, the ecosystem of the decade, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what's been your path to the ocean decade. Sure. So as you mentioned, uh, this year I'm I'm a 2021 Knauss Marine Policy Fellow with NOAA. And my placement is in the NOAA Research Front Office, so working on the decade 24-7. My official title actually is, is the UN Decade Domestic Engagement Policy Advisor, but that just means I'm, I'm in decade 24-7. Uh, before this, uh, when I started in February, I'd been finishing up my master's degrees in water cooperation and diplomacy and water resources policy and management and doing some some research actually on climate change and and gender um, gender adaptation strategies to climate change. So I've I've jumped from the freshwater world into a bit of the saltwater world, uh, but it, it's all connected. It's all connected in the water world. So it's a little bit about where I came from. Yeah, and you got a fancy new updated title for this I year. Did. You're po- fancy policy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's much more specific. Mine was something like. You know, like, I don't even know. It was like UN Decade Fellow, you know, and then (laughs) so it was kind of because we didn't know what I was going to do with the role. And so I'm glad that you were able to get a much snazzier title, although I I hope that you didn't. I spent a little bit of an aside, but I had started my fellowship right before COVID hit. And so I ordered a bunch of business cards thinking that I would meet a ton of people in person and give them my business cards. I think I gave out two and I have like I had like 500 or something because it was not maybe not that much, but it was enough uh, that I still have piled somewhere. And it was just like the saddest thing trying to figure out what my title was for that and order them and then realize that they were completely useless. So <laughs> you have a cool title for your email signature. Yeah, I actually shortened it in the email signature be- because to be honest, it's super long <laughs> and, and doesn't necessarily, you know, get right to the chase. So I, I think in my email, it just says Canals Fellow. For the UN decade. There you go. It's a little, you know, short, sweet, to the point. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's that's the hard thing about the ocean decade, and what I think we'll, we'll we've gotten into in some of the past episodes, and what we'll get into here too is that it takes so much to explain to get to somewhere to get people to get educated up to a level where they, you can then talk to them about the decade. So it's not. Um, it's not always the easiest thing to communicate, and I think that's one of the challenges of the of the fellow in this position is you're coming into this whole international and national policy landscape and then trying to figure out 
how to communicate this weird international initiative to lots of different audiences. Definitely. And I think there's there's a broadness to it that can be a little daunting when you first hear about this. You know, how does this, how could this possibly relate to me or what I do on a daily basis as, you know, as whoever, as a scientist, as a policy person, et cetera. And so, yeah, a large, large part of the task is, is breaking it down and making it relatable to, to people. Yeah. So I'm uh, a little curious uh, just from kind of a personal point of view, because I know the reasons why I had picked this position during my Canals Fellowship, but you had a lot of options during Placement Week, or our virtual Placement Week, where you <laughs> interviewed with tons of different offices and jumped from from Zoom room to Google Meets room to all of the various <laughs> softwares that we use to video connect these days. So what drew you to this position? Was it the broadness or what was it that, that sparked your interest? Yeah, there are a couple things. And, and Placement Week is a complete whirlwind of positions and me printing out org charts to try and figure out where everyone is and how everyone relates to one another. But a few things that, that drew me in particular to the decade was the, the energy and excitement that, that you and Liz had in particular um, about this initiative and the fact that it was, it was still pretty new. Um, you were the first fellow, you know, I was going to be the second fellow and still sort of figuring out what this initiative is, you know, what it means for the U.S., how do we get people engaged, and also all those ties to what's happening internationally. We uh, say a lot in, in presentations that I give um, that the ocean is having a moment, and that really, um, I think, speaks to a lot of the a lot of the international priorities around, you know, blue economy, around biodiversity, around climate change, everything really coalescing into talking about the ocean and, and what needs to happen with the ocean. And, and I think I saw in the decade that there was all of that really wrapped up into this one thing. So I like the broadness. Um, I've always been inter interested in, in working on, on multilateral and, and international initiatives. So it, it seemed like a really exciting opportunity and it, it has not disappointed for sure. Yeah, that's so fantastic. Because um, that, especially that energy piece that Liz Turpak, who was uh, my Canals advisor and is Teresa's current advisor, and so who is a senior advisor to Craig McLean, uh, who is uh, the lead of the US delegation for the Ocean Decade. Um, Liz is never lacking in energy. <laughs> it's in it is a fantastic mentor. And I'm glad that we drew you in and that you've been able to match her maybe get close to matching her level of energy that I drink <laughs> a lot of extra coffee last year to keep up with Liz. <laughs> and and your shoes as well. Those are some big shoes to fill for sure. Oh, yeah. See, I told you this was going to be a weird, like self, <laughs> self-fulfilling thing where I, I'm not meaning it to. I'm just trying to learn more about <laughs> how this position has evolved because I think that's really fascinating because I think what drew me to the position, similar to you, was the the newness of it and the chance to kind of make your own thing. And that's really rare within the Canals Fellowship. So for those uh, people who don't know, the Canals Fellowship is a one-year uh, marine science policy fellowship in DC where postgrads, so either masters, JD, or PhDs get placed somewhere in the US national government or on the Hill um, with, the, uh, with Congress to 
deal with some aspect of marine science policy for a year. And so there are some offices that host fellows every single year. And so you take over that portfolio and and grow that great work. And But the chance to have a new position open up, especially within the federal government, when people, you know, <laughs> poo-poo and say, they, oh, they don't do anything new or innovative. But this was a really new, innovative thing that was fascinating. And so I was really glad that when I left, uh, we had, Liz and I had found someone as uh, wicked smart and passionate as you to to take it over. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah, it's it's really exciting because it's it's building architecture and and like we say fairly often, you know, we've got all this momentum now, but it is a decade long, and and hopefully a lot of the programs and everything will last even longer than that. Um, so building the the architecture and and doing a lot of that. Um, thinking, strategic planning, scheming uh, for for how to get um, how to get you know people brought into the fold really on decade and get them excited and make the right connections. There's a lot of of new space to be covered um, and thinking to be done, and, and that's pretty exciting as well. It can be nerve wracking because you're you know a foray into a new territory, but really exciting. Yeah, and to make sure that this moment lasts, that it's not just a moment, that it's something that you can look back, you know, after however many years and say, oh, this all started because of our gumption <laughs> and our strategic thinking and planning early on. Exactly. And planning all different aspects, you know, how how are we gonna how are we gonna tackle this as an agency, as a department, as a federal government, but also as an entire U.S. ocean community and, and working together with, with the National Committee and, and everybody who I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on later as well. Yeah, that's actually a perfect segue into what I was going to to get into next. So first starting a little bit about your specific position, uh, and it'll touch kind of all these tendrils, but I know how difficult this is to answer, to answer this question because people asked me last year, so but what does it look like to work on the decade on a day-to-day basis? Is there a typical day for you? That is that is a difficult question. I actually was in I was in a webinar this summer where they opened they asked this this opening question to the audience, you know, what marine creature do you feel like today? And somebody came back and said, I feel like an octopus because my arms are everywhere. And I think that is just that is a new image I'm I'm using to describe the position because I think it's just very fitting. Uh, I'm a bit like an octopus and I, I have my little my little arms in a lot of different places um, on a daily basis. So I'm not sure there's, a, there's necessarily a typical day. I think there are there are common elements that I do probably daily. And so elements of coordination and elements of communication definitely happen on a daily basis. Um, sometimes that's communication via lots and lots and lots of emails. Sometimes it's giving presentations. Um, sometimes it's writing, you know, briefing memos, things like that, but a lot of communicating to different audiences. Um, then a lot of coordinating. We have so many people now involved in the decade, and a big part of what we do is try and keep information flowing um, to everybody who needs it at the right time. And also we do a fair amount of, of matchmaking. Um, so somebody here in NOAA is really interested in in some particular topic, and, you know, maybe we find out um, through a partner that somebody at EPA, for instance, is really interested in that topic too. You know, how do we make sure all of the relevant partners and, and maybe even a research scientist at a university who's interested in the same thing, how do we make sure they all get in touch and 
and can work together on something bigger than what would just be a single project or a few a few PIs working on one proposal. So there's a lot of information flow, uh, coordination, a lot of partnership building too. Uh, despite the fact that there's so many people involved now, there's still many, many, many more people to bring in to the decade. And I think there always will be throughout throughout the 10 years, but going out and, and doing outreach as well to people from different communities who maybe aren't as involved yet. So I talked to a lot of educators and recently I've been talking to people in more of the arts industry doing, you know, who do films or music or TV or um, things that have to do with environmental education. But then on the other side, um, there's a lot of people who are looking at the economic side or the social science side. And so how do we, how do we go find those people and, and bring them into the fold because we need, we need a little bit of everybody. Yeah. I think you kind of perfectly encapsulated all of it. And what people will be really, I think shocked and maybe not if you're ingrained in the marine science world, but like even within the U S federal family or in, in DC, the marine science world is fairly small, but people don't talk to each other very much. And so it's really crucial for something like the decade to be this, you know, common thread that brings everything together. And especially with what the decade is doing to try to connect people outside of the norm, you know, so I don't think people would necessarily think about EPA with the ocean, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency here in the US that you think about them maybe with freshwater stuff and setting you know, clean water standards, things like that, but they actually do a lot with the ocean as well. And so it's making those connections for people that they don't necessarily see and helping kind of, yeah, draw those, draw those groups together who might not have realized that they should or could work together. Exactly. So a lot of my role is, um, I'm not sure how you put it, maybe a broker for information. <laughs> That's a great sort way to a, say it. A central yeah. hub of information, you know, a lot of things come in and, and then they have to go out to the right people again, right? And um, relaying things, but also uh, putting some translation in there as well. If something's coming in at a big, broad level from um, the international level and, and the Ocean Decade crew over at IOC, um, then, you know, how do we translate that information so it's relevant to, to people in our agencies? Um, or even to people in nonprofits and things like that. So there's a lot of translation along the way as well. Yeah, that's also a great, yeah, a great word to describe what working on the decade, you know, full time looks like. Because um, some of the other people that we've talked to on this sh on this podcast, um, they focus on one specific area. But you, in your position and and working with with Noah, are working across all the areas. And so you have to not only be subject matter experts, at least to a degree, on on topics, but then speak a lot of different languages. And so there's so much going on with the US and the ocean decade. And I, I made a reference earlier to the, the org chart that I used to, to go through in my decade 101. So what does that org chart look like today? Who are all those different players that you talk to on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to make this decade happen in the US? Yeah, so it, it's funny you mentioned the org chart because I, I of course, uh, building off of the one that, that you and others made last year, um, updated it and then updated it again and then updated it again because it's just such a, a constantly changing landscape and ecosystem. But uh, a quick run through of the of the major players. There's, um, I suppose I'll start first with um, uh, the international side. Of course, the IOC has 
Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, I need to spell out my acronyms here, has encouraged countries to make national... This is the podcast of acronyms. Yeah. So last month was the first month where we didn't have an acronym of the month. And so I don't know if we're going to have a new one. Maybe NOAA can count as our acronym of the month. Um, or maybe when we talk about the the SAUCE, the Subcommittee on Ocean Science and Technology. But yeah, we are the acronym, acronym central here. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be the first one I'll drop today is the IOC. Um, has has encouraged all countries to make a national committee for the decade. And so the U.S. has one. We are one of the first countries to um, make one and, and have one stood up actually early, uh, towards the end of last year, actually, 2020. And uh, the National Academies is actually not within the government in the U.S. It's really unique um, and cool in that it's it's extra governmental. So it's housed within the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. So normally those folks have different boards uh, for topic areas. And there was a pre-existing ocean studies board of experts, um, academics from across the US uh, who had expertise in the ocean realm. And so they, along with a number of other experts from different boards at the academies make up our national committee. And their role is really kind of a, a hub for the, the entirety of the ocean science community in the US. So they have, um, they have meetings themselves, they have uh, what they're calling their nexus, um, which I, you've, you've touched, about, touched upon in, in previous episodes, I believe, of, of nonprofits, uh, think tanks, other agencies, institutions that are interested in sort of cluster around them in this nexus form and receive information. And, and that's sort of the, the hub of this U.S. ecosystem, if you will. So they, of course, I, I talk to on a regular basis because one sort of spoke on the wheel um, partnership, if you will, is, is what the federal government is doing. And that has to be closely coordinated with, with what the national academies are doing and, and finding ways to, to work together. So I talk to the national academies um, national committee fairly often. Um, and their staff as well. Yeah, because that marriage between the federal and the and the non-federal, that's a really unique thing, I think, to how the U.S. is organizing for the decade. There's, you know, NOAA, who is leading the charge for uh, the U.S. federal family, and then the National Committee at the National Academies of Sciences, which is trying to organize almost kind of everyone else, or at least everyone else um, in, uh, in a pretty broad term and that, you know, they won't reach everyone in their nexus organizations um, that you alluded to will will help contribute to what the U.S. wants to do overall. But uh, the relationship between those two, I think, is really unique and something that the U.S. brought to the organization of this early to to show the flexibility, because we know that the federal government can't do things in the U.S. as quickly as, as non-federal government entities sometimes. So I think it was a smart decision at the very onset of the decade to have that balance and uh, allow those two groups to to work together. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. And the other thing that it brings in is is expertise. I mean, we have fabulous scientists and many of them across the federal government. We also have many more in the U.S. that are that are ocean scientists, ocean researchers, um, other folks working on on community aspects of of ocean. Um, you know, economics or coastal resilience, lots and lots of experts in, in relevant fields who are housed at universities or nonprofits or think tanks. And so 
really to tap into the ex expertise of this wide community across the U.S., you need you need something outside the federal government. So we're bringing our piece, and the national committee is helping to to organize, you know, all others outside the federal government to to bring their expertise as well. Yeah, that's a, a fantastic way to put it. It's kind of uh, letting the decade have as many smart minds as it can <laughs> come together um, towards working towards these goals. So we have the federal government with, with NOAA pieces, the U.S. National Committee. What are the other kind of inner workings of how the U.S. is organizing for the decade? Yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the national level. If you want to delve into the, the federal ecosystem, uh, nested ecosystem. Or, or, as we always yes, do. Yes, nested, yeah. nested doll, as you were saying. Um, there's a, a similar wide-reaching coordination a, across the federal system as well, and and that's the acronym you mentioned earlier, um, the Subcommittee on Ocean Science and Technology, which the SOST, the SOST yes, yes, the SOST, which is already a, a pre-existing body that coordinates ocean re and science-related topics across many, many federal agencies, tw over 20 of them. At the White House level. At the White House level, yeah. exactly. So the SOST has many, many responsibilities. Um, and, and the Ocean Decade, of course, is, is one small piece of that. So in order to get their work done, they have both formal and, and informal working groups. Um, so there's, there's an informal working group for the Ocean Decade, with all of those member agencies of the SOS. So we're talking 20 plus federal agencies, not just NOAA, um, which you might think of right away, but everybody who has some sort of piece of the ocean in their portfolio. Um, so all of those, all of those agencies come together in this, in this working group to uh, share information and coordinate at that really high, broad agency wide level. Um, so that's a, that's one level. If you want to delve deeper into NOAA itself, we have a similar sort of structure. Of course, NOAA has many different um, offices and different line offices. Um, and there's people, of course, who are doing things, for instance, in, in the National Fisheries Service and the National Ocean Service that are very relevant. Um, and all of the lines, in fact, not just NOAA Research, where I sit, and I may be a little little partial because that happens to be where I sit. We're always a little partial to where we sit, of, of course. Of course, but all the lines have things to contribute. And so similar to the cross-agency, there's a cross-line body within NOAA that's sitting under one of NOAA's policy councils, and, and that body really helps to integrate everything that is happening across NOAA so people know what's happening in other lines, people can collaborate, and... Um, and work together better. So there's a lot of nested uh, ecosystems there, but it's it's maturing this year, really, in the first year of the decade, and um, and getting set up for for future calls for actions and for really uh, carrying out a lot of the things that that we've already proposed. Yeah, and I think that's maybe one of the crucial lessons that I would take from the U.S. organizational system and maybe suggest to, to other countries on different levels is that you do kind of need different nesting. We don't want to add more bureaucracy or governance to these structures, but if you're going to try to make sure all voices are heard, uh, you need to reach across a lot of different areas. And so, you know, most countries who are involved in the decade probably have a similar um, federal level 
uh, ocean agency, you know, within or environment agency within their countries. And so maybe uh, a kind of nesting situation similar to what we have at NOAA to make sure that the o- ocean agency of each of the countries has uh, a big part of of the organization of the decade and has a lot to say, but then also across uh, the different agencies within each of each of the countries of the world to make sure that there's the breadth of it as well. So while it does add an extra layer of complication, and I wish we could have Teresa's working in each of the countries around the world to help make this nesting work, I do think that it uh, that's what it's going to take to to make this work. And I'd be happy to be proved wrong and see if we don't need as much bureaucracy in other countries. Uh, but for the U.S., I think especially this is an interesting model and a model that incorporates as many voices as possible. Yeah. And I think there's there's a lot to be said for bringing in agencies that, or in other countries, it may be bureaus or ministries or departments um, that are maybe not necessarily the ocean managing department, but, you know, the the economics department or the, you know, interior department or, um, or even, you know, anyone in sort of in development or, or things like transport and shipping, you know, those aren't always nested in the same bureau, ministry, department, agency, et cetera. And so the decade is so, so broad and touches so many pieces of society because the ocean does that really having all those players are important. You know, we need we need the people who work on the actual oceanography science. We also need the people who, you know, work in, you know, in disaster relief and in things like that. Exactly. Uh, that's, yeah. You're, you're, we're preaching to each other's choir here, which I think is <laughs> good and bad. But um, one of the things that, so we're talking about the good pieces of this, but what are the challenges in organizing for the decade in the U.S.? What have you found are, are some of the difficulties of this, of your job, you know? Yeah, so I think probably the difficulties that, that we face in the decade are are probably shared by, by anything that is large, international, and has a bajillion people working on it. I think it's it's mostly challenges you face um, when things get this big, and it's it's good that it's big and it's growing, um, but it comes with inherent challenges of of coordination and and communication and making sure everybody does have the information at the right time. Because what can happen, I think, um, if you're not careful, is is there's so much enthusiasm, people start um, coming up with things, having ideas, and you don't want to accidentally duplicate what somebody else is doing. You want to build off of it, and so one of the challenges can be making sure that information gets to people at the right time so they can make those connections and build together instead of, you know, duplicating and then having to synthesize later. So coordinating for sure. And then also making sure, I think, um, that despite the fact that we have so many voices, you know, do we have all the voices is is a question I, I ask myself a lot. And I think not getting lost in the fact that, yes, we have, you know, so many people involved, but we, we can't just sit back, you know, and say, okay, we have lots and lots of people. We need to make sure we have um, all the people that actually need to be there. Yeah, that's one of the things that someone pointed out to me at, near the end of my fellowship, and I I couldn't believe I hadn't thought of it during the whole time. But, you know, the one of the taglines of the ocean, you know, of the ocean decade is creating the ocean we want. And the importance of who that we is, you know, and who we're speaking for and who we don't want to be, you know, speaking for people that we're not speaking to. And so the importance of that little pronoun is is crucial within 
Ocean Decade organization and I think the biggest challenge? I think it is, yeah, because you have you have to think about we in terms of uh, in terms of sectors, you know, scientists, engineers, economists, teachers, uh, those types of sectors. But you also have to think about geography. You have to think about um, you know rural versus urban versus you know small town on the coast versus large metropolis on the coast, that kind of thing. You have to think about people who are inland. And connected to the ocean through these these larger water cycle processes. So there's so many different dimensions of we. Um, in addition to to people with multiple um, all the other identities. I mean, different generations, which I know you did a ton of work on last year, getting people to think about how we have intergenerational diversity, but also every other type of diversity that that is out there needs to be present as well. Yeah, and you you couldn't have said it better is trying to think about all those audiences. Um, but when you think about all of those, there's definitely already been some big wins that have happened. So what are some big wins in that you see from the U.S. point of view? What have you seen that's happened during your tenure thus far that you were like, yes, this is awesome and a great kickoff to this decade? Yeah, there have been a few things. I think um, there, uh, as, as you've heard if you've listened to the podcast before, the National Committee has early career professionals that are very involved, also has a youth advisory committee that's very involved. And there have actually been a few events um, with with early career professionals and also a number of, of panel events where early career professionals are involved and, and participating actively. And I think that's a really big win based on, you know, last few years of, of organizing and making sure that we're really bringing in the next generation. Um, to continue the decade. So I think that's a win, having that be more mainstream, having people think ahead of time, you know, how do I get someone early in their career who has valuable things to say also involved in this discussion? Not just because they're early in their career and we need somebody like that, but because they have perhaps a different point of view and they have their own expertise to share. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's definitely a big win. And that was something that I don't know if it's like this when you're a big part of my job last year and, and Teresa's, I assume this year is planning uh, panels at a lot of different, both scientific conferences, but then broader events as well to try to reach different audiences about the ocean decade. And uh, we started very soon after I started realizing like, okay, we, <laughs> it wasn't a question that it's wasn't a question of, oh, if we can get someone who's who's younger on the panel, it's we are going to get someone who's younger and we'll bump someone else to make sure that they can be on here to have, you know, their piece. And so the the inclusivity of the panels that the U.S. is trying to plan, I think, has been a real was a real win for me last year and something that I think other countries need to emulate going forward as they're organizing for for the ocean decade themselves that we don't need all the ministers and all the <laughs> the very senior officials because we've heard them speak a bunch we've heard what they have to say that you need all the different perspectives that you know has been kind of the broken record of uh Teresa and my talk thus far yeah so you you hit the nail on the head with with a lot of of the priorities that that we have and and that i'm i'm trying to champion personally when when setting up a lot of these um, panels at conferences, things like that. You know, definitely having people who are early in their career who have very valuable input on the panel is essential. Um, but also thinking other, you know, other types of diversity. There's a great wealth of information um, held by people who are live very close to the ocean and a lot of um, in a lot of our islands. 
uh, and they often, because of time zones even, have less opportunity to participate in things. And so how do we get people um, from across the United States, um, in all of the U.S., really um, involved and, and sharing their, their expertise? Yeah, I was really lucky that uh, Teresa had asked me, I'm kind of thanking her for uh, inviting me to facilitate a, a discussion that she and Noah had done at Chow, the Capitol Hill Ocean Week, which is a big uh, marine science policy uh, week in DC each year. And so I got to facilitate a conversation about diversity in the ocean decade. And so then thanking her by having her back here, but also just love to hear her perspective too. And when we organized that, you know, it's the simple things about picking the time zone for when your event's going to be so that our panelist in Guam, (laughs) which is something like, God, what is it like 18 hours different from DC or something like that could, could join and not be in the middle of the night and in their pajamas and have, you know, toothpaste on their, on their face. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, thinking about those little things and, and the thought and effort um, and intentional nature of that panel, I think is, is really what needs to be emulated in, in all the panels that we do going forward. And um I, it, it, yeah, it's great to celebrate that one. I, I was really happy with the mix of people we got from from different geographies and backgrounds and experiences. Um, and yeah, challenging myself not to, you know, not to sit back and say, oh, that was really great. We talked about diversity, but that has to be all the panels going forward because that's that's the whole point of the decade. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we talked about some of the biggest wins that have happened this year and just the change in people's thinking that these conversations have to be broader and that the organization has to be of, of these national committees and of, you know, how it happens within governments. It has to be broad because we have to talk about all these people and there's, it, there's no option anymore that it's, it's a necessity. And that's already a big win that I think the decade has, has pushed in a lot of circles. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, and it, the fact that those things are being talked about at such a high level um, I mean, thinking back to the kickoff event in June and, and the remarks that were given by a number of different people about, you know, including the next generation, including people from different geographies and different backgrounds, those kind of things were said at a very high level by by a lot of ministers and people who are present. And and a big win for us, of course, was was definitely to have the U.S. among those, you know, represented by by Dr. Jane Lubchenco from um, the White House Office of Science Technology Policy. Um, that was a, that was a big win, I think, to have her there and speak so highly about the decade and its goals and and coming together as a as a global community to get some of these things done. Yeah, that I remember seeing that and being <laughs> incredibly proud of you all because I remember as the administration was changing earlier this year and seeing all the cool appointments, I was uh, slightly jealous of the fact that you were going to get to work with this really incredible group of of people at at NOAA and at the at the White House level and the fact that. Um, once you're into the decade, you're in. So the the former head of the U.S. National Committee for the Ocean Decade, Dr. Rick Spinrad, is now the head of NOAA. And so it's really fantastic to have this high-level support uh, at so many different areas. And it sets a good example, I think, for the rest of the world of what we can do. Uh, we need to work. There's a whole issue in STEM in the U.S. in terms of the fact that all of these high-level people are typically white men. J- Dr. Jane Lubchenco aside is a, is a white woman, but we're getting there. And so I'm really hoping that uh, if we continue to press and make these changes, that it can continue to be talked about at a really high level 
and the individuals who are getting involved in ocean science and policy today can be a more diverse high level going forward. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to keep having that high level um, mention of it and and even in things, um, you know, June was was National Ocean Month, and and the president's proclamation there was a mention of the Decade of Ocean Science, and and you know, sort of all that that stands for in terms of you know bringing in the next generation of STEM for the ocean and and science and policy and and putting a lot of thought into you know the ocean climate nexus, which of course is being talked about at very high levels at lots of international fora. Now it goes back to goes back to that that slide I like to start with a lot in presentations is that the uh, the ocean is having a moment. Um and it's it's I think really good that um that at such a high level it keeps it's it's being repeated because I think it, it gives a lot of momentum and, and strength to all of the things happening at a ground level to um, to make the decade happen and, and make all of the programs and projects and and things happen. Yeah, I can't wait. I still want the U.S. National Committee or NOAA to print t-shirts that say the ocean is having a moment or bumper stickers or something, and I'll be the first in line to <laughs> to get get some of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like to change the slide up depending on, depending on the audience, but my favorite one to use is this really close-up. It's taken from one of the sanctuaries. It's a close-up of a, a Hawaiian monk seal just kind of staring you in the face. And, and saying, the ocean is having a moment. Stop. Look at me. Oh, that's really funny. But it also makes me f- like makes me feel old in that we, but I have it too. I have a favorite slide that I use in presentations. <laughs> so it's like, am I a nerd? Am I old? I don't want to have, I want to, don't want to have that thought right now, but just. <laughs> oh yeah. Favorite oh. slides, favorite graphics. Yeah. Uh, Especially, you know, in the COVID world that, I got in uh, during my fellowship year working on the decade. I got in one trip uh, before COVID shut everything down and I got to go to San Diego for the ocean sciences meeting that happens there annually, uh, which would have been great except for the fact that I went to undergrad in San Diego and spent four years (laughs) there. So it wasn't anywhere super new or exciting. It was a familiar place that I got to go to, but again, it's impacted you and your year. So you're going to have a favorite slide. And then how has COVID continued to impact planning for the decade that you've seen on both the U.S. and an international scale? Yeah, I think the largest thing is is really the conferences and the large gatherings of people. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's different. I mean, one-on-one meetings, you know, consultations, planning things, the world has adapted pretty well to do that virtually. Um, I think the big things really that we're, that we're missing out on are those those conference experiences where you can walk by a booth and start up a conversation or walk by a poster or sit and listen to a panel in person. Um, we're replicating them and, and I've been really impressed with some of the online forums I've been able to use for different conferences because they're getting pretty sophisticated. I mean, it's pretty great to have your own little avatar and be able to walk around. Um, not quite the same thing as, as in person, but uh yeah, that was really cool. That was uh, the U.S. National Committee had a had a meeting earlier this year that they used <laughs> little avatars that you could walk around, and I presented a virtual poster, and people could pop in. It was it was odd, but it was yeah. I just wanted to be able to pick up the little virtual food and just have it like come out of my printer or something, you know. But then what can you do? We're not there yet in technology. Yeah, not there yet. That that was that was fun. That was actually my first day um on the job was was the kickoff of the- That was your first day on the job? At- no, well, that was February. Day, yeah. yeah, time flies. <laughs> it was a great, yeah, first day on the job was was the US uh 
kickoff of the decade with the National Committee. Wow, what a what an introduction to the world. Yeah. Oh, that's so fantastic. But yeah, it's it's hard to know what the decade would have been like without COVID, you know, at this point, that I don't know if we could have a crystal ball and say what would have changed um, if if it wasn't around. But I'd like to think that because, you know, these things like these laboratories that um, that the IOC is putting on and the virtual things that the U.S. National Committee is doing, I think it's a little bit more inclusive in working around time zones and making sure more people can can get involved. But it's just, it's hard to know. And it's it sucks that the start of this 10 years uh, will always have this COVID asterisk on it. But God, I hope that at least by, <laughs> by the end of the 10 years and definitely beforehand that we're like, oh yeah, that started during that really horrible time for everyone and that we can you know, try to try to use this as a way to to push us towards a more sustainable future that we've had these conversations at a at a global level, you know, with with climate conversations and then with the ocean decade as well. You know, people are working virtually. I think we have we can use it to our advantage whenever possible to be able to include, you know, more time zones, more individuals than perhaps could could travel. Um, so if we can if we can take advantage of it, let's do that. And then we'll we'll just wait until we can see everybody in person again, which will be exciting. Um, but I, I have to say, I was I was very um, pleasantly surprised that that so much really was going on. Um, we heard reports at the the IOC assembly in June of of everything that the different countries were doing for the decade. You know, a national committee set up here, um, uh, initiative started here, and there was there was really a lot going on. So there's a lot. A lot happening that maybe we don't necessarily hear about because we can't travel to see it, but there was still a lot happening in all these different places. So we just have to find a way to keep keep everybody connected. Yeah, keep the momentum going. And and speaking of these kind of first priorities and things, um, the IOC had released its first call for actions at the end of, of last year, the end of 2020 which were then submitted. I'm a big part of the final part of my fellowship was that push of getting the final program submitted to the IOC earlier this year. Um, and then when the call to actions were, were announced, the accepted ones, um, what in that batch did the U.S. get? So I, I don't think I ever saw a full list of all the great U.S. things that the IOC had given its decade stamp to. Yeah, so we had we had turned in a lot. So there were about 17 uh, U.S. submissions, and that's just, you know, strictly speaking, federal government handed it in. Um, there's also a whole lot of, of things that the federal government or individual agencies partnered on that, that's not part of that number. But um, it's the 17 that we, we physically handed in ourselves, if you will. Um, we're all we're all endorsed in some way. So some some were, were contributions, some were programs, and they really reach across the whole decade in terms of outcomes, challenges, geographies. I mean, there's things in there from you know siting of aquaculture um, to uh, there's a coastlines and people program um, that's really looking at, at coastal resilience and setting up different hubs for for research and information sharing. There's a, a cross agency one on um, ocean sound, um, which is, is is pretty cool. And that was that was put together by several different agencies. So another good reason to have that interagency uh, coordination. Um, there's things on Arctic research, um, 
There's things on ocean acidification, lots and lots of different topics. And, and I can tell you just from uh, the last few months of, of talking to a lot of folks about what the upcoming call could look like, there's a lot more ideas out there. And uh, to, to round out even what we have so far, which is a, a fairly large number of ideas. That's awesome. Yeah, we always saw when, when I was working at NOAA last year, this first call for actions was a great kind of test of our organizational system to see what we could get in different things. But also, it was going to be great to have examples to be able to give people. It's always hard to go first. It's always hard to be the ones to, to set the example. But then the ones coming afterwards can build upon that and say, oh, that's what a successful program looks like, or that's what a successful contribution looks like. And here's how we can shape that for our own ideas or initiatives or partnership. Exactly. Yeah. So, so huge kudos to all of our all of our authors that went in the first round um, for being the guinea pigs in this worldwide experiment and, and really for helping um, spread the word, actually, you know, once they got endorsed and helping talk to, to their peers about what it means to engage in the decade um, from their, you know, program coordinator, program manager, scientist perspective. Um, they've done a, a great job sort of as ambassadors of endorsed decade, decade actions. Um, and there's, there's a lot more people who, you know, had had beginning ideas in the first round that weren't quite concrete enough yet that are now ready to turn those in for endorsement and people that have come up with uh, with new ideas as well. So there's been a lot of um, a lot of that this summer. A big part of, of my job is, is going around saying, you know, there's another call coming. Um, let's get organized. Let's think about what what we can um, bring to the table in this round. Yeah, you're kind of like the the town crier for the ocean decade in the U.S. is another good analogy to. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, that could be that could be another job title. I'll take that. Yeah, anything, any different, smaller thing to put on on the email signature line. Yeah, town crier. I like that. I just need an actual microphone. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get you there. Um, so what are just, we've talked about a lot of these different things and we've talked about some of the lessons learned along the way, but are there any other kind of big high level lessons learned, do you think, from this U.S. organizational approach or their prioritization, how things happened and worked um, to help guide, you know, other countries as they're working on their decade organization? Yeah, I think, I think one thing I would say is, is, you know, this is the time to get creative, you know, in that first call for actions, we had um, a little bit of uncertainty about, you know, what a program would look like, you know, what does it look like to be part of the decade? And, and we, I think a lot of countries, you know, took stock of what are we doing? What can we add? What can we build on? And um, so we have some of those things that are building off of, of pre-existing programs and making them better. And now that we have some idea of, of what the decade looks like, what it is, now that we're a year in, um, it's, it's time to open that creativity and say, okay, maybe I didn't think about this in the first round because it just seemed too big, too crazy, too out there. Um, but now I've, you know, I've thought about it a little bit more and this is an idea that um, can only be done now. And this is really the time to bring those forward. You know, so maybe things that you're not already working on, but you've, um, but, you know, governments have been thinking about, we really need to get this done. And, and things that are a little bit more creative than business as usual. I think this is really the time, the sweet spot for people to start thinking about that now that we have some, some of our feet under us, you know? Yeah. And I think that the organizational structure of what the U.S. has done fits well to that, the balance of creativity and, and, 
you know, the process that needs to happen so that countries can have priorities for the decade, you know, the balance between governance and creativity, which I hate that they're on opposite ends because I'm a governance nerd and I think the governance adds fun, but that's maybe just me, um, which is why I went from working on the ocean decade to working on shipping, which has international shipping, which has all sorts of other issues as well. I'm just a, a sucker for a good org chart, I guess, but it's, it's for a big country like the U.S. that has a giant EEZ and lots of different issues that this kind of organizational approach might work well. But there, I'd love to, you know, I think it'd be so cool to to talk to other national committees or other governments to see how they've been doing it. Because then maybe we can inform the U.S. And the whole point is to, you know, learn from others and contribute to this international conversation about how we can, you know, reach reach our goals and reach the you know, the outcomes that we want by 2030. Yeah. And like you said, there's no, there's no one way to do it. And I think every country will, will figure out what works for them and what works for the systems they have in place and and how they can use those to, to engage and and create new things as well. Um, Yes. This is, that's the ecosystems we have that have been developing. And if, if they can be a template for somebody else to, to start with and then um, fit to their own situation, then, then, Let's let's learn and share. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, going a little bit broader now as we're getting close to wrapping up. Uh, speaking of the ocean decade overall, for you, you know, who your job touches all tendrils of the ocean decade. You're you're our octopus in residence. Um, by 2030, you know, you're looking back. What would be a successful decade according to you? And it doesn't necessarily have to be from your from your NOAA spot. It can be something that's a little closer to the heart, an issue that you care about personally. But yeah, defining success for you personally for this ocean decade. I think personally, it, it, it may be a little bit cheesy to to say, but the, really the transformative aspect. So I think looking back, um, I think I want to be able to say, you know, people came up with things that were really new and really not business as usual. Because I think it's, it's easy, especially um, at... And it, at a level where you're, you know, coordinating whole country, whole agency, it's it's really easy to to think to yourself, okay, these are the programs we have. How can we rebrand this as the decade, um, or how can we, you know, tweak it a little bit and make it fit for this new initiative? Um, it's really easy to do that, but it, that's that's not the, you know, the whole point. And I think maybe maybe early on you build off of what you have. There's nothing wrong with using those as building blocks, but really coming up with new ways of doing things i think will will be the success and and not just using this as a rebranding exercise that's a really polite way to to say that in terms of you know that you do homework for one class and then try to use it for another but to try to really create yeah that's not what this is about this is about something new you know think about how you're going to do it differently yeah or else what's the point we'll reach the end of 2030 and we'll be doing the same thing we've always done yeah, nothing, nothing new. So yeah, we'll work towards newness with this. Um, so what's next for you? You know, that I know we've talked a lot about your role and uh, I know that all Canals fellows around this time of year get horrified because people ask them <laughs> what's next for you, but how would you like to be involved in the Ocean Decade after your fellowship year is over? How is this going to impact, you know, what, uh, whatever you choose to do next? Yeah, that's a big question. Like you said, I'm, I'm starting to be asked. So I, I guess I better come up with a, a better response than I'm not sure yet. But 
I, I definitely want to continue to be involved in the decade. And, and lucky for me, I'm, I'm in it at the beginning, right? I, I have another 10 years of, of this whole decade happening that I, you know, thanks to this year, happen to know something about. Um, so I, I hope to continue that, whether it's, you know, formally or, or informally as, as a, you know, early career ocean professional or, um, you know, I also serve as an Atlantic Ocean Youth Ambassador and, and we engage with the decade that way. Um, definitely keeping it going um, and, and continuing to be involved in, in some way, um, because I think if you're in the ocean world at all or even in the climate world or anything adjacent, um, it'll be something to to be aware of for the next 10 years that you have to engage with some way. So uh, I, I hope to continue to be in it somehow, but I'm, I'm still figuring out how exactly I'll do it. Yeah. And it's like you were saying with the people, you know, who submitted some of these first programs and then they went and talked to their friends about it, that it, you know, you can be a great ambassador for the decade and whatever you do next, that I've brought it into my current position and looped it into different things. And that um, just, yeah, we need to make sure that, that you get paid for your work, but <laughs> that's a whole different issue. But the fact that, you know, that the ocean decade through these things is are creating these ambassadors all over the world to, to really bring different people to the conversation and different audiences. So where can uh, the audience go to learn more about the U.S.'s efforts for the Ocean Decade? Yeah, so the U.S.'s efforts, I'd say first and foremost, the National Committee website. Um, so the short link for that is nas.edu slash Ocean Decade U.S. That's, that's the, short, the short and easy URL. So definitely there. Um, we're hoping uh, soon to have perhaps some, some more decade information up on, on some of our own federal websites. So work in progress there. Um, but definitely start at the National Committee because that'll, that'll give you links out to a lot of what's happening in the community. And they also keep tabs on what's happening internationally as well. So it's a good hub for information. Yeah, that's fantastic. The U.S. National Committee website has a lot of information. And be sure to let us know when, uh, if and when NOAA and other federal agencies can get some, some stuff up on their websites so that we can learn more. Uh, it'd be great to to get to see that, you know, cause like I said, I'm, I'm out of the loop of us planning that I, <laughs> I have to like, yeah. Email Teresa and say, what's happening. Give me a hit of the us planning. Cause I'm, I don't know what's happening anymore, but, and I'm, I'm sure that Teresa would be more than happy to, you know, put people in touch with do more of her town criering and connecting and kind of behind the scenes puppetry. So if you're interested, uh, be sure to reach out to Teresa and we can, we can get you looped into us things or get you connected at the international level. Thank you, Teresa, so much for for being here today and for, you know, it's I know that you talk about the decade all day. And so then to come (laughs) like after after that and then talk about the decade some more, uh, you're a real trooper for for doing this. And I loved having this conversation with you and uh, kind of preaching to the choir, but we get different places, too. So we weren't completely twinsies with it all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's, It's been great to talk about it. Um, in in yet another different setting and and look at it from a different lens. Um, So thank you for the invitation and and I hope everybody learned something. Yes, I'm sure they will. And everyone come come February, make sure to look out for Teresa's resume and give her a great job after her fellowship ends. Uh, So thanks everybody. And we'll talk to you next month.